All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Warrior Cast, and we have with us an OG, uh, Omar. And Omar, if you don't mind, I'll just give them a bit of a back a background on you. So uh, by OG, I mean you've been around since Yahoo was in dial-up, and uh, you were, I mean, you know, effectively the guy who provided the scaling solution to switch over to uh, broadband and so that it could stream and keep up with competitors and that's on the software and the hardware end. And then, so you really understand the architecture, sort of the meat and the potatoes of the blockchain. Uh, and a lot of the devs these days, I mean, they kind of work off these small contract libraries and build beautiful things. But I think it's very important that they hear from somebody who understands the foundation. Um, and we'll go beyond that. And obviously you've taken that skill set and then you've brought it into your current projects we'll have you talk on and um, introduce that to people as really a, a scaling solution to let's say certain chains that are struggling to scale today uh, that will one day comprise let's say the promise of web3 and then and then we'll dive into web3 so if, if you would please maybe give yourself a more proper introduction All right. Well, thank you so much, Mike, for having me on. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, yeah, so uh, my name is Omar Syed. Uh, my background is in computer science. I've been in the industry for over 30 years now. Um, my focus has mostly been in building a large-scale, uh, you know, uh, mission-critical systems for large enterprises, uh, you know, where they're handling millions of daily active users. Um, and so uh, I started my career working at Raytheon, uh, fresh out of college. Uh, that was in Boston, Massachusetts. That's, that's a rough beginning. That's a rough beginning. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so uh, after graduating from college, I was like really interested in the hardware side of, you know, computer science and uh and, and so I really, you know, uh, try to find something in, in, in that. And so I got lucky. I was able to um, work at Raytheon in their missile systems division, helping to create chips that, you know, went in some of the, like the Patriot missiles that were used in the, in the uh, war against, uh, you know, Iraq. Um, that, that's been a while. I don't know. Uh, if people even know about that anymore, but uh, yeah. Uh, and then after, the, the, the you know, after being there for a little maybe. while, yeah, yeah, yeah. After, after that, I, you know, um, thought that I'd want to go back and focus on uh, AI. So I, you know, went back to college, started working on my master's. And uh, while, while doing that, I had an opportunity to join NASA full time. So and then joined NASA full time and started yeah. doing my master's part time. One slip after another, one one hardship yeah. after another. Yeah, Mark, keep Yeah, going. yeah. Terrible. So that that was really cool. So I was at at NASA uh, from like 1989 to 2001, all uh, throughout the 1990s, where you know this was the period of time when you know the internet and the web was becoming mainstream. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, um, you know, NASA is one of those places where, you know, they had internet, like, right from the beginning, because um, they're a government agency. 
Uh, and so I, I literally remember the days when, you know, people would have access to internet at NASA and the rest of the world did it. And I used to be, you know, thinking, wow, when, when is this going to be opened up to everybody? So can I, can I ask yeah, you about that? I'm because, from that era. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask you about that? Because I know about this. Era. Did they ever even have the, uh, the conception that it would become a consumer facing product at some point? I think that was the long term plan of uh you know the u.s government um but you know as but there was a lot of research that had to be done in creating the internet i mean the internet actually started in like the 1970s uh you know as a a darpa project um and the purpose of it was to make sure that you know if there was any kind of a nuclear war and you know uh some centralized uh communication service went down that communication wouldn't all get disrupted so the internet was designed as a you know packet relay system so that uh, if one part of the network is down the me- the messages would still ride right around the part that's damaged and still get to the destination so that was the idea behind creating the internet but yeah I don't think I mean you know, it, it did take a long time, but I think like in the 1980s, people started realizing that this has a lot of like commercial and value and could be used for a lot of other things than what was originally planned. Yeah. So you worked at NASA and then when you were, you did you stay at NASA? That was your Yahoo was, was after that? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I was uh, one of the fab- first webmasters at NASA. Um, so this is when, you know, uh, the internet was just getting started. Um, and one of the things that happened there while I was there was that, um, NASA sent the rovers to Mars. Uh, this was like 1995, 96. I remember that. So that was the first time rovers to Mars. That Mm -hmm. was a really big deal. Yeah. And so we thought, Hey, wouldn't it be great if we put these images that we're getting back, uh, on a web server? And so we did that and, yes. you know, the media covered it. And before we knew it, uh, we were the most traffic website. And of course, you know, our servers went down and then we had to quickly figure out, you know, how to uh, build scalable web services. So this is, you know, scalable web services was not a thing back then. The internet was just getting started. Um, and so, yeah, uh, that's how I learned, uh, you know, how to, build scalable uh, back-end uh, web services. And then I started a company on the side where I did consulting for uh, internet startups and, you know, help them uh, scale their back-end. You know, that, that's how I got started in the whole uh, scaling side of the industry, right? Out of so, necessity, so out of necessity. And so you sort exactly. of just with your background, you navigated your way on the software end and on the hardware end. And then eventually you took that into contracting, right? And then you had your stint with Yahoo, which essentially kept them competitive, right? I mean, yeah. So Yahoo yeah. didn't happen until like two thousand and six. This is well after, uh, right? Yeah. Right. So, right. Um, so after NASA, I kind of focused on uh, the, some of the companies that I had started, uh, and you know, then in two thousand and six. Uh, I was invited to join Yahoo as principal architect of their multimedia streaming center. 
So the the situation with Yahoo was that cool. they had bought a company called Broadcast.com, which was started by Mark Cuban uh, here in Dallas. I'm in Dallas now, um, and you know that what what they had the the technology that they had built worked because everybody was on dial-up internet. So you know the 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 users were not pulling down a lot of data. And so their backend infrastructure wasn't really designed to scale and ha- handle a lot of load. But once, you know, people started getting broadband internet at home, so this is like around the mid-2000s, you know, 2005, 2006, uh, people started getting cable modems and DSL. The iPhone came about like right around then, right? Yeah, exactly. Right around then. Um, so then, you know, their backend infrastructure was having issues keeping up with the load. And so I was the architect that. And so I helped uh, Yahoo get like four patents on, you know, the systems that I helped design there. And I had a great team uh, working with me, but I was the principal architect, had a really great uh, engineering director. And, you know, we built some really amazing tech there. And then from that, I moved on to Zynga so Zynga is, um, many people may not have heard of Zynga, but they probably remember like Farmville, um, which was a really popular game on Facebook for a while. Yeah, I think I remember like that. 2010. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, there was a huge craze on Facebook yeah. for Farmville. This right, is like right. around 2010-ish kind uh-huh. of time frame. And I, I actually joined them in like 2012 and I worked on a project called Castleville, um, which was uh, headed out of Dallas. Um, and I helped them with uh, some interesting uh, scaling solutions uh, for hand, you know, handling, uh, validating the, the user uh, movements, right? So whenever mm-hmm. you, uh, somebody makes a move in a game, that gets sent back to the server, but then you know we have to check that is this move legal, right? And so that puts a lot of load on the backend servers. So we came up with some clever, uh, you know, schemes for how to. And we'll get into that. We'll get into that because that sort of helped yeah. you yeah. figure out other solutions. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, uh-huh. yeah, and then um, you know while I, I was at. Um, Zynga, I started developing this interest in like money and how money works and all that. It actually, I, I mean, I could trace it back to like Ron Paul, who we all can we all, we all can trace back our fascination with what is money to Ron Paul. Uh, I just want, yeah. yeah, I had to say it. So yes, please go ahead, tell me your story because we all have our Ron Paul story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, he was running for president in two thousand and eight, and you know, he would oftentimes in his speeches say, you know, we have to get back to a sound money system, right? And so I, you know, was like, what's sound money? You know, like I, <laughs> money is just something that I never paid attention to. It was it's paper, like, right? You know, it's paper com- with the comes green in one, one side, goes out the other, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's, that's the end of that, right? So it's just, you never think about you know, the economics of, you know, like monetary systems or, you know, where, where does money get created? You know, how does it flow? How, you know, 
where does it go? You know, all these kind of things. So um, I started, you know, I just looked up like, what does sound money mean and discovered that, okay, oh, money used to be backed by gold. I thought, oh, I thought it was backed by oil or whatever. But, but you know, I learned the whole history about it and how, you know, uh, the backing was discontinued in 20 or, or 1970 or 1971 yeah summer yeah. and then then we yeah worked out some agreements with OPEC so that they would you know uh sell oil for dollars and you know things like that so that we would maintain the value of the dollar yeah. Um, but yeah it was really interesting and I got to thinking you know it does make a lot of sense to back money with some commodity but using physical commodities seemed like not the right thing to me right because why because why well there's multiple reasons one is that you know physical commodities there's usually like a limited supply of it like say with gold um you know there would be some limited supply although you know you could have more gold being mined and all that but uh the scarcity of it makes it difficult then for you to uh, grow your money supply if you needed to, because there's certain times when the money supply needs to grow. There's other times when it needs to shrink. And this is important for maintaining stable prices. Um, can you so explain, if your money can you supply explain, is not uh, elastic. Right. Can you explain the, necess- the necessity of the money supply elasticity relative to, let's say, purchase power of the currency? Yeah. So you know what 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 what's needed is that like when when you know an economy grows when new people are you know coming into an economy you need to be able to expand the money supply because if you don't then what will happen is um you know uh, prices will go up right so like there's a limited amount of uh, uh, money but uh you know the you're, you're creating uh more uh goods right so so more more um, transactions so you have to be able to uh, uh, accommodate for the settlement of those transactions and then if not there's this echo that just represents itself all over the place differently and actually it's, it's almost unpredictable sometimes how it does um but, you know fractional yeah, reserve mean, banking would be a result of uh, limited supply for settlement yeah exactly and you know so in some ways, uh, economics makes money seem like really, really complicated. But um, after studying money for a while, I really, you know, thought that okay, well, if you just have a money supply that's proportional to the number of people that are in your economy, then you can have a very, very stable money supply, right? So prices of goods and services uh, will stay pretty much constant. Uh, right. So, you know, like imagine like if you had 100 people and you had, you know, $100,000 uh, in, in circulation. Well, if you go to a thousand people, then you want to have, you know, a million dollars in circulation. Right. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, then that's going to cause that 100,000 to become more rare. Right. So. Well, so wouldn't then in that case the value go through uh, deflation and then so each dollar would have increased purchase power so then people would be able to have more uh, you know more plenty as, as a result that's something that i've always struggled with if, oh yeah yeah, yeah. No, right yeah so yeah prices of things would 
would get less, right? Yeah, because the, right, the if if the number of people increases and you know the the dollar or the currency that you're using becomes more rare, right. then yeah, each of those uh, units of currency can buy you more. Exactly, right? and the so, problem there is the volatility relative to the fact that we're so interconnected, the imports and exports, and then the foreign exchange rate. So it's like if you don't. If you're not able to forecast a constant margin, uh, then you have a hard time forecasting your cash flows, therefore maintaining your operations, going public or bringing on investors and things like that. So it essentially, it creates a, a chaos element into it. So it's nice to be able to have that freedom, but also in having that freedom of changing the money supply, um, it can have different echoes. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, so, but... The, the reason why, you know, people have wanted sound money is really to ensure that the people that we put in power to issue the money don't abuse that power, right? Mm. I mean, if you read the Bitcoin white paper right at the beginning, uh, you know, Satoshi says that, you know, yes. the, the history of money is filled with, you know, the issuers abusing their power and, oh, yeah. you know, inflating the money supply right everybody the description the, in the link below to the bitcoin white paper if you haven't read it yet ah uh, you gotta yeah. read it yeah thank you Omar. yeah yeah definitely um and so that's the main reason why you know people want to have a sound money that's backed by some commodity because then the issuer has to just you know keep keep that money supply within that range right. of the commodity to have now uh, so, you know, getting back to like, why is it bad to have a physical commodity back your money supply is that you don't have that elasticity, right? And then the other thing is that then you have to like lock up this commodity and protect it, right? And so now like imagine, you know, if you had your money back with gold, well, do we want to lock up all the gold and, and keep it protected so that we can trade paper that's backed with gold. I mean, we actually need the gold for other uses, right? So yeah, yeah I, I hear some countries might have been doing that recently. But yeah, I, I get it. It's yeah, not as practical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. right. It's just not practical to do that. So, you know, I came to this conclusion that money could actually be backed by people's time. Um, and so the, a really simple system to do that uh, just has like two rules one is that on a regular period like let's say once a day each person receives some constant amount of money so you know like let's say i'm getting 10 units a day so every day i get 10 units of money and the other rule is that um each day of a very small fraction of my complete balance is deducted Right. So like if I've built up, let's say um, a, a thousand dollars, then if we have like, say, a one basis point getting deducted, then, you know, like I think that comes out to well, a percent of a percent would be like 10 cents getting deducted. Right. On a thousand dollars every day. Right. So what happens is if I never use that money and I just let it grow, so I'm getting 10 deposited every day. But once that amount gets to say like 100,000, then that 
you know, one percent of a percent that's getting deducted will equal to 10 and it cancels out. So my account will grow, but then, you know, reach some asymptotic limit of equilibrium where it's not going to grow beyond that. Right. So based on that, you can calculate that every person that's in your economy has, you know, approximately like with these two numbers of 10 being received and one basis point being deducted, it would reach an equilibrium of 100,000. And so you could multiply the number of people in your economy times 100,000, and that's hmm. basically gonna be your money supply. But it's not gonna it's be just... evenly distributed. Of course not, right? Right, right. So some people may be spending every day, others mm -hmm. might be saving and so on. So, but that money supply is elastic in the sense that if you get more people joining your economy, the money supply will grow. If people leave your economy, the money supply will shrink. Mm -hmm. So, yes, yeah, so that's a really simple system. Now, the hard part is how do you implement this, right? <laughs> that's what ended yeah, that's up leading hard. me down this rabbit hole of what I'm doing now. Right, and so, so and we want to go address that because, so we're going to address scaling. And we're going to address address um, like what that means. So first, we'll discuss just basic terms of blockchain is then what the challenges with scaling are. But we're even going to go forward uh, before we do that and discuss more. You saw the proliferation of Web two, and you saw. I mean, you were literally you know ground zero there, pretty much upon its expansion and mass adoption, right? And then you saw the proliferation of what some have called the wall gardens of of uh, Web2 social media platforms, and you've seen uh, uh, people around the world just have access and uh, job opportunities created and just a huge amount of economic productivity. Uh, but then there's a yin and yang to everything. So you've seen you know, the growing of large companies at the expense of maybe local communities and just a reshuffling, if you will, of the economic order as we knew it uh, relative to the community and just um, size of, of, of company, right? So uh, it's you know it didn't make it doesn't make sense for a brick and mortar store anymore given the margins, given uh, uh, the volatility of the dollar, and um, it's just it's, it, you know, versus what you can do online, especially if you have a scalable solution, right? I mean that's 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 key. Uh, that somehow linked also locally would, would really be tremendous because I think that's the key. It's it's to link the local with the scalable solution. So um, I want to talk about first how you saw Web two. So this is going to be for young devs now who have no idea about this, like who are like, you know, they're 19 to 24 and they just were born into this like postmodern world and they're just like trying to make sense of things. And I think we all are to some extent. Um, but uh, uh, I want to speak to them about how the world was before Web2 became mass adopted and then how it transformed and then bring us up to the promise of Web3. Yes, let's just start with that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, a lot of the young generation nowadays probably don't remember a world without internet, right? Uh, and so, you know, I'm from that era where if you wanted to know something, you had to go to the library, right? Oh, my God. Uh, that was that was <laughs> the only source. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So like my my kids, you know, uh, ever since they were born, you know, they've they've had computers at home and internet. And, you know, they don't know, like, you know, when, when they do their school projects, like they don't have to run to the library to go get an encyclopedia and, you know, 
research the topic, they just go online and, you know, look it up on Wikipedia or Google it. And, you know, they basically have a world full of information at their fingertips, right? I mean, we can't, you know, fathom how incredible that is, right? I mean, you know, like, you know, the Egyptian empire built the pyramids but i think what we've built with the internet is probably like a thousand pyramids you know the manpower that's gone into this one thing that we all have contributed to some way or the other and that we all use actually you know somewhere or the other in our day-to-day lives it's just unbelievable right so so also yeah so you know right? so also be good it's like we don't even really even understand how its echoes have impacted virtually everything we do in life. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And then I, I think, you know, earlier I had kind of talked to you, you know, uh, about why I'm also like so scared and worried of our dependence on the internet. Let's get into that. Electricity yeah. and these technologies, because mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, everybody's just thinking about moving forward, forward, forward. Mm-hmm. and doing the next thing doing the next thing but we don't think a lot about preserving what we've built to make sure that it's protected against catastrophic events right that's because- ancient wisdom that's ancient wisdom by the way <laughs> is that we're great at creating we're great at destroying yeah. we're terrible at preserving and so I'm so glad that you brought that up. So at least people can realize everyone who's trying to say what's the next step, the next step, the next step, perhaps safeguard the step we're at now as other people are innovating. And then you will find that there's a value to it. Right. And there's a market value to it and it, yeah. it would be recognized. So it's just uh, if you're looking for a niche, perhaps preservation of existing infrastructure grids or whatever could be that niche. Uh, but then, of course, you have the bidding, con- you have the whole bidding issue and and that mess. Right. But um, yeah, just, you know, these kind of things never get prioritized. Right. Right. I mean, you know, because we depend on the governments to do it. And, you know, uh, there's always tons of other stuff going on. And, you know, if it's if it's working, just leave it alone. You know, if it's work, if it's working, leave it alone. Yeah. Just like yeah, exactly. uh, New Orleans is now working <laughs> and being left alone. Yeah. Yeah. I got it. Yeah, Great. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, nobody wants to take the extra measures to ensure that, you know, uh, it'll be protected against catastrophic events. And, you know, uh, the, the, the catastrophic event that I worry about the most is a solar flare, right? Or a can you explain people, um, can you, so people who have heard EMPs as, as a danger, they've heard about that uh, because, you know, right. uh, people like to pin potential tragedy against man versus nature. So uh, that's like a tendency, a trend that I've, seen um but i want you to please talk about solar flare and maybe how perhaps that you know you can equate it to the the impact of like an emp so people would be able to kind of sort of understand it and then also what the likelihood of it would be and what the impact would be yeah so you know um solar flares are happening pretty much all the time but there's like an 11 year cycle where it kind of peaks and then it goes down it's it's due to the uh, sunspots right uh, on the sun. So when there's a lot of sunspots, you also have a lot of activity of solar flares, and you know it's it's just the sun 
shooting out a bunch of charged particles in you know a certain direction and if that direction happens to be earth and you know we get hit with it uh in in a bad way then you know we could have something like our our whole electrical grids go down you know so you know that's something that who's we so if we had a direct hit by one of these the whole world (laughs) right yeah the whole world could have its electrical grid knocked out and we go back to like 1800s suddenly yeah so right that's that's pretty crazy yeah but but also what's the statistical likelihood i know that you've created so there was a study done by researchers at nasa and they actually calculated that over what was it i think over a 10-year span of time there was like a 12 percent chance of something like this happening that's so crazy so 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 one of these big events happens almost like every 200 years the last one happened i think it was like 1859 was referred to as the carrington event Mm -hmm. Uh, at that time we only had like telegraph lines but this event burned out all the telegraph wires and put some of the uh, telegraph stations on fire from the amount of electricity that it generated in the wires yeah if you if you google like the carrington event you'll uh see 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 what happened but if it's something about, like that was to yeah. happen now uh, wow, i mean just that would be insane yeah so what would happen with right. nuclear what would happen with nuclear that was the source of electricity oh for you mean like for nuclear uh, like, like a nuclear plants? power plant like like uh you know like a like a like what do they call them like a level three, like highly secure. I think they're moving into four right now. Yeah, I think four. they would still function. But exactly right, the, they would. The the problem is that the, the wires, though, to transfer right. the electricity from the power plants to the homes and you know people that need it, those right. will get all burned out. Right. Right. So, so then the the relief effort would be replacing all the major nodes and wires to nuclear, and then that would, I mean, ostensibly, I mean, that would effectively fix it in time. Uh, well, so they also did the study about like how long it would take for us to uh, repair the power grid after an event like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the biggest um, components of our power grid are these transformers, which are only currently built in China. And oh, that's great. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then the supply is, is very limited. And so, so they, so this university actually ordered one of those from China, and it took like, I think like six months or something like that, to just mm. get one unit. Mm. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so it would it would be a, a really bad situation. So let me ask it would you, probably um, be without electricity for like years. Yeah. So even a day can bring down a city. Um, a night actually. Yeah. So. Let's talk about transformers for just a moment. So, is there anything uh, material-wise in transformer that is uh, like a rare earth mineral that we don't have native access to uh, in the United States? Um, I'm not sure about that. Um, you know, transformers uh, may be possible to be built here. It's just that we don't do it anymore. You know, we just so why do you think that is? Why do you think that manufacturing? Is? 
Yeah, why do you think that is? Why do you, why do you think that like such an essential part of life, like our life as we know it? I mean, I mean, it's not like a social issue where I feel this and you feel about that or whatever. This is like life we're talking about here, like you know, preservation of our lives and our family. So I'm just curious as to why people. So if there's this niche market, right, for transformers, where there's a six month delay and it's so rare and it's so important potentially, right, to be able to recover in preventative measure. Right, right. Why aren't like why isn't someone filling that niche? Here in the states, well, I think you know transformers are kind of things that are like not like once they're built and they're working, they last for a long time. So there isn't a constant like turnover of transformers, and so you don't really need to build a lot of transformers. But when you have an event like this and you suddenly lose all you know all your transformers, then we get into a really bad situation where okay, okay, we need like to re rebuild all these transformers and that's just going to take a long time so that's idea, why how many transformers so, so are it's there not now? a really good business model to you know for somebody to start like a transformer company because you're not going to have sales right now yeah right? i mean so, so i mean i guess there's special government contract contingency plans if they were thinking ahead you know that would be probably smart given the data from nasa and the importance of transformers and, and, and wires right, and time right. to be and things like that uh, but again, like focus is like we, we've given a lot of power away and, and it, it seems like it's on all sorts of things other than what's just preserving life. And that's what freaks me out. Right. And, and so Web 2, like we were kind of going on to like how it was changing the world. And, and one thing that we saw was that they realized the power in Web2, and it is great economic, I mean, there's so many great things, sharing of information at your fingertips, combine it with smartphones. People are still asking each other, like, what does this mean? I'm like, bro, you literally have a smartphone phone in your pocket? Uh, just go blah, blah, and then, you know, you'll know what it means. So it's kind of funny, because our brains haven't caught up with our capability. Uh, but so people have seen now in the culture that it can be used as a yin and a yang for good and bad. And in the aggregate, who knows, right? There's some people who just say technology, blah. But as we know, technology, as it spreads, uh, it, 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 it at least helps the, the poorest amongst the world raise to a reasonable standard of living and also uh, allows us to be agile uh, when we wouldn't otherwise be able to be agile. Uh, which wouldn't really help if a solar flare gave us a direct hit and we weren't prepared for that. But let's just let's just say that's not coming. And so Web 2 has played out. And we sort of see how Web 2 is. And it's sort of ubiquitous now. Like, it's it's in our lives in such ways that um, a former guest, it says, like, when do you know mass adoption occurs? It's like when no one realizes that they're using it. And that's kind of like where we are. We're fully saturated in it. But now you are, as you've seen Web 2 take hold, and the whole saga that, that played out from that. You are at the forefront of Web3 uh, architecture or the skeleton that can enable Web3, the dream that is Web3. So at first, can you explain very briefly just kind of blockchain and non-technical matters and it, it, its its limitations and then what Web3 sort of is and then let's dive into the, the, the yin and the yang of a fully realized, scaled, by you, um, Web3. Yeah, so, um, you know, Web3 is basically uh, the decentralization of Web2, right? So, uh, you know, as the internet uh, evolved, uh, lots of people were able to create lots of content and services, but as time went on, you know, you saw that 
there's this tendency for centralization and the bigger players to get even bigger and the smaller players kind of you know get left behind right so uh, there there's there is i mean that's a natural phenomena that happens in lots of different systems right all so, over the, every domain that we know of proto principle exactly principle, all these things happen right yeah but but i think you know we we've, we're probably beyond the natural level right i think so, so too i think uh the natural level might be like 80 20 but now we start to get like beyond that even right yeah. so um but so that's you know not healthy for the whole uh ecosystem um and and so you know we're, we're starting to see this revolution now towards decentralization and i think that was triggered by bitcoin specifically uh you know there was a little bit of that earlier prior to bitcoin like you know with BitTorrent. Right. um but yeah, um yeah but uh bitcoin really fired it up um and, and so you know you know it showed that hey you can actually have systems that multiple people who don't trust each other can participate and the system can be designed such that the game theory uh, makes it, you know, beneficial for them to cooperate in a way, even though they don't trust each other and, you know, necessarily don't want to cooperate, but the system can be set up in such a way that it's beneficial for them to cooperate, right? So, um, so that was really a, a big eye opener and um, you know, a big contribution from what Bitcoin did. And, and now we are at the forefront of that uh, revolution. And this revolution, I think, will probably take at least 20 years, 20, maybe 30. I mean, I, I, actually, we're already 10 years into it. Can't mm -hmm. believe it, right? So like, if you say like 20, uh, 2009, when Bitcoin was released, uh, so we're you know, uh, 2022 now. So getting close to like 15 years into this revolution. So this, this will probably go for like, you know, 30 years or so, but we're still in the early stages of it. Now, you know, just like when, if you look back at the other revolutions, like say, you know, computers or the internet at the very beginning, you just have like very, weak computers that can hardly do anything but you can begin to visualize that oh my god if this became more powerful you know we could do all kinds of amazing things can you take it. us back with to the printing press and then go to the internet so what happened when the <laughs> printing press uh first happened in agricultural and metropolitan areas yeah i mean you know so the and i'm the only asking you because you're so interesting and i want people to hear your answer <laughs> So go ahead. Yeah, sure. Sure. I mean, yeah, the printing press also was a sort of uh, decentralizing and revolutionizing event that happened, you know, hundreds of years ago, right? Because prior to that, information dissemination was very limited, and only those that had a lot of power could express their points of views through, you know, printing and, you know, getting that information out because everything was handwritten and who could afford somebody to, you know, handwrite a thousand 
copies of a manuscript, right? And, sure. and get that out. But the printing press changed all that. And now lots of people were able to express their ideas and mass produce their ideas in a form that, you know, other people could get access to. Um, the internet was, you know, revolutionizing in that same way. You know, like if you look at all the content creators now, right? Uh, you know, it, it, prior to that, you had three TV stations, right? ABC, NBC, and CBS. And that was, I remember throughout my childhood, that was the only information that so, you really got when, when, outside when you of, lot, you know. When you remember from your childhood, was the narrative always the same from each, or was there variance? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you looked at the nightly news on all three of the channels, you know, they pretty much covered the same thing. The narrative was pretty much the same, um, you know, but now we have, you know, YouTube and, uh, you know, lots of different points of view, lots of different people participating in getting information out there. Uh, you have a lot of choices. So, you know, that's, that, that that's a really that that is also a very decentralizing kind of an event right so when we had the the internet making it a possible for lots of people to be able to get their content out and express their points of view and and now we're we're, we're seeing decentralization on uh different industries that were not affected by web 2 right so uh, for example, um, you know, the internet didn't really decentralize banking, right? Banking is, is still yeah, yeah. in the hands of, you know, a uh, small, limited group of people. Great, and, great people, you know, we, the best people in the world, probably, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, being able to uh, create an asset and have lots of people around the world use that asset that's just like unheard of. I mean, you know, internet provides the ability to move information, but you can't move a dollar across the internet, right? So at least you couldn't until, you know, Bitcoin came along and allowed the ability to move value across the internet. Yeah, without having to go through a gatekeeper who can, let's say, hold it for no cause, prior yeah, to yeah. I mean, affiliation right yeah so anytime you want to do any you know movement of assets on the internet it was always you know going through an intermediary uh but and, and you know and then also uh you couldn't create your own assets right like i mean there's just a limited set of assets which are you know the the national currencies and maybe the stocks right but of course stocks i mean they're just stay within their own world that you access through a broker right it's it's you never use a stock outside of of that realm uh but now i mean think about it you, you have all these uh, new currencies being created um and lots of assets and you can actually take possession of those you can actually use them to buy your coffee you know this is just cha changing and revolutionizing the world in a way that wasn't possible before. And so- The ownership so of assets, utility NFTs, transfers to property, I mean- Exactly, huge. exactly. So this is a, 
this is kind of like you know decentralizing things which were not decentralized from the web 2 revolution right so web yeah. 2 revolutionized uh, or decentralized uh information uh but now web 3 is decentralizing you know things like financial systems and uh trust essentially decentralizing yeah. trust i think trust is cool yeah. i think that uh, Web3 identity and utility NFTs is going to make things so much more efficient if deployed properly and by the right actors. Uh, obviously, I mean, it takes regulation so long to catch up and even people to understand what's happening right now. They, they don't like, you know, they'll think of silly Internet money or like, you know, JPEGs that are probably trademarked by someone else being sold as an NFT for like 20 million bucks. And they're like, oh, this is what's happening. And we're like, no, guys, we got to. <laughs> Okay, let's let's break down the crypto sphere a little bit into sound money and decentralized democratized rails, and then we have what can be built into what some call the metaverse, uh, different ex experiences and the future of that, its utility, the yin and the yang of that, but also just on daily life, it's just you know how does that affect you in terms of like closing a home, right, or uh, being able to purchase anything or to uh, to, yeah, to I mean, assign value or build communities, right? And and then right, not right. get shut down. So like if you build, let's say, uh, let's say you build because everyone just like finds you because you are super fascinating. That you get like a jillion people on Twitter, and let's say the monetary value of that is like I don't know, uh, two hundred million dollars, and you can put that on your balance sheet, right? Because there's some conversion ratio relative to product and services. You can't do that today. Honestly, I mean, you can, you can try to get away with it if you're having someone, you know, buy-in or whatever, try to get evaluation, try to convince them of that. But truth is, they could just, whoosh, at any moment, you see something to piss them off, like solar flares, gotta watch out for those solar They're like, <laughs> you said solar flare, whoosh, and that's gone, right? Web3, yeah. Web3 though, I mean, that puppy can sit on your balance sheet because then you just go to a Twitter 2.0, which is something not cool. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. much cooler. Yeah, and 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 then and you bring in your followers with you, right? Yeah, exactly, and that's where you know um, that's one of the things that um, you find that with Web two, you're all excited and you're you're creating content and you're disseminating content, but then eventually you realize that you're doing it on somebody's platform, and then they have their own policies and you know. And they could easily shut you down. And I'm sure lots of you know YouTubers have experienced uh, at least getting a warning or two. Uh, you know, some of them were shut down. Um, but you know that you know these are the kind of things that wake people up, and then they start to think like, oh well, how can I make this more decentralized? And then that's when the technologies that are being created now with blockchain and distributed ledgers will allow all these people to, to be able to create new platforms, right? So, you know, there's already platforms like Odyssey and, um, you know, there's a few others. Mines. I'm getting the names of. Mines. But, yeah, Mines I mean, you could actually. like a Web2 interface, but it has like a lot of the sort of crypto ethos yeah. built into it. Yeah. Right, right. So there's, you know, now people are starting to see that, hey, you know, we could actually build our own platforms that are decentralized now. So when you mean decentralized, yeah. what do you mean, essentially? Because people are going to hear decentralized, they're like, okay, like, I, mean, I think of like increased cost. <laughs> because in the beginning, well, like, if you want to... Like, still, 
Good. Yeah, a lot of aspects to decentralization, right? I mean, so, yes. but the but the important aspect of it um, in this point, you know, uh, in this case, is that there isn't a single policymaker, right? And the community is the policymaker. That's what decentralization means. So you can have this platform, but that platform is is shared by the community. It's you know the the the, the gains or the the fruits of that platform are shared by the community. They, they don't right. go to like you know make a few people that started that platform ultra rich, right? So that's what decentralization means uh, in this sense. I mean, so it can be deployed right. It can be deployed wrong. I mean, from a cost standpoint and a quality control standpoint uh, and a regulatory standpoint, compliance. I understand doing uh, something more private, restricted, slow and steady, prove the concept, make sure everything is working properly, and then decentralize and democratize over time uh, in a scheduled way that's, that's, that's uh, self-triggering, right? Once these metrics are hit, this is what's going to happen. These additional nodes are going to be released, and therefore the master node loses less and less governance on it. But at least you can ensure that it's not... So just going straight into completely like public and permissionless, I think is very, very chaotic and very dangerous and can give a lot of us like a lot of bad names because we, we, we know there's bad actors happening, right? And so it's like- Yeah, I, yeah, and we, there's we a lot of like learning that has to be done in this space. Yeah, you know, like there's, a, and, and that's happening, you know, like there's lots of DAOs out there, different DAOs are taking different approaches. You know, there's a lot of evolution going on right now in this space but we need leaders and, though. you know we need leaders with high integrity to say perhaps i mean not centralized authority figures that's what i'm saying yeah. i'm saying we need influencers who are willing to speak to what a proper like let's say a deployment of uh of a token would be right or what a proper decentralization uh, would be because of course you can try everything and see what works and what doesn't work but if, if you want consumers to feel safe and you want mass adoption to ca catch on quicker I mean, consumer protection protocols, self-executing, so like trustless, so that people know that whatever, you know, people put out these roadmaps, right? That they're gonna do all these great things and then none of it ever ends up happening and it becomes just an ish coin, they would call it, and then people lose all their money in it. It's like, well, okay, how do we safeguard against that? Can we, or just do we, do, do we cope with the complexity and the inherent risk and also the inherent upside uh, for the people who know how to capture it, right? Within a nascent, uh, free market, if you will, virtual free market. And then also it's like, well, if we push too hard, then there's going to be pushback, right? Obviously. And then that comes in the form of fiat, right? Government regulation. Yeah. And then in the aggregate, if we don't police, police, but if we don't at least like come to some like agreements or even uh, points, focal points where we agree to disagree, even that, so at least people know these are focal points that are important when it comes to this emergent Web3 becoming eventually, you know, ubiquitous just like Web2 is, it's like, if, if, if there's no focus on that, I feel like mass adoption is gonna take longer or it's gonna be more heavily weighted in one direction um, that's more, uh, you know, gamified and, and not necessarily as, as high value as would be, let's say, the pursuit of truth, right? So to, divide, to, to be able to take what's what some of the existential threats that, that we're faced with today, which would be 
uh, the misuse of information to drive behavior that is contrary to the benefit of survival, let's say. And then it's like to say, okay, well, that's a problem, so we're going to focus on that, and this is how we're going to do it. And then, you know, people are like, okay, cool. Well, maybe instead of creating a third AMM on the same chain, maybe we're going to take this, these brilliant people um, and give them this offer and say, hey, why don't you go join this? But without, without OGs, if you will, right, standing in and saying, well, this is what I saw happen in Web 2. This is what I'm seeing happening in Web3, and I'm not trying to be bearish or whatever, or cause fun. that's not the thing at all. I'm so bullish on Web3, like ridiculously bullish on Web3, uh, especially like web identity domain, stuff like that. It's like um, someone, or, or a group, not someone, not an institution, but there needs to be 10, 20, like Joe Rogan, for example, right? Joe Rogan is a great mediator of the excesses of just nonsense on both sides, right? That, that, that's like, that's helpful. Like that does help some people kind of navigate the world, right? In a way, it's silly, but it really does. Like there's a huge inherent value to just this guy who's just like middle of the road, kind of like, just, hey guys, let's get along. You know, I mean, he's, you know, he's a stoner and a fighter and just like, he's a contradiction of contradictions and he's just a great guy to watch, right? So we need a few like Joe Rogans that sort of makes blockchain just a little bit more accessible to people, like digestible to understand what, uh, not just blockchain, but emergent tech more broadly, uh, mm -hmm. but maybe mm -hmm. Web3, let's say, the, the components. Uh, and, and just to at least discuss or, yeah, at least identify what are the focal points for discussion. What do you think on that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, because we're going through this transitionary period where um like like people nowadays don't even know how to be responsible of their own money right and they're they've been so spoon-fed with the system that we've had uh where you know you just call 800 number if you forget your password right uh it's it's this transitionary period which is gonna uh we have to deal with right now um where you know people are not used to this uh, you, you know web three comes with a lot of responsibilities and so yeah. there's going to be a lot of bad players and bad actors out there that you know capitalize on people not knowing how to deal with web three in a responsible way and and fraud them right uh so yeah but i i, I do see that like you know maybe 10, 20 years into the future, uh, we'll have a lot more people that from birth, you know, are, are used to like dealing with a private key or, you know, just knowing and having these concepts. Like they know their phone number, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, ha having these concepts of, uh, you know, not depending on a third party to hold your assets, right? right. And, and, uh, managing that kind of stuff so yeah and 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 you know bring and bringing the awareness um you know definitely uh there's a lot of need for influencers to help increase that awareness and you know i'm, I'm seeing i you know if you know where to look there's a lot a lot of influencers out there trying to work on that but of course you know uh it's not the same as mainstream Right. Yeah, it's not as sexy. It's not as sexy. It's not as sexy as the yeah. TA guys who are spilling over into ish coins and are telling people how to make a bunch of money overnight. It's just not. So they're not drawing. Although we are beginning to see a few 
right, really are. Begin to see if you connect the macro with some of the specifics and then do evaluations and stuff. I think Coin Bureau is fantastic and some other guys who I won't mention, but like are just really leading the way as to at least evaluating projects based on a standard. But then it also needs to be, let's say, a moral schema saying this is what the ethos that is the dream of Web3. And, you know, public permissionless Web3, right? And this is, the, this is what the spirit of it was intended for. And it just so it just keeps us like so like you know freedom right uh, uh, a personal accountability you have to remember your own crap right I mean you have to remember your seed phrase let's say uh, right um, like uh, you are responsible for how you allocate this asset here and this asset here like or whatever it is it's like uh, someone needs to remind people of what the general ethos of the, the the promise of decentralization is or maybe let's say a web a decentralized web or web three. And then just so that the people can circle around it, because you're not going to have, I mean, any great civilization creates a physical structure uh, where, whereby people can circle around it. That's almost step one. And then from that is an abstraction of a, an ideal, call it a transcendent ideal. And then that becomes imbued, it's a meaning that's imbued in people. And then if there's a variance from that ideal, there's like revolution. There's like, no, you've been a bad Murdoch king and they beat the crap out of him outside, you know, the thing for the day. And then he comes back in and puts him in check, right? You know, the story of the Mesopotamia. So it's like, don't we need to know what it is that was the whole idea of Web3 to begin with? I mean, don't, doesn't someone need to just express it? Well, I don't know. I mean, I kind of think that this is a thing where we don't know yet right like uh nobody has an answer right and so it's going to be it's just going to evolve and things are going to go in in a very chaotic way um and you know that happened with web 2 too right so yeah. uh nobody knew i mean who would have ever thought that social media networks would grow so big uh, you know uh, <laughs> i remember when you know uh, i would at, at NASA tell people that, hey, you could create a web page, you know, a homepage and tell people, uh, you know, what you do at NASA, they would be like, oh my God, I don't want to, you know, like expose myself to the world or people were afraid to put their pictures on online, right? So nowadays, look at, look at how much mentality has changed, right? And so over time, um, it has to evolve. Uh, I, I don't think any, nobody has the right answer. Uh, and, you know, you also don't want to put anybody in that, you know, you, it's, not a, it's not a good thing for society as a whole if there is somebody that's in that kind of a position where they can, you know, give, you know, a direct to that level, right? So, well, yeah, um, it wouldn't be an imposition. Yeah. It would be a competing sea of ideas where the best ideas rise to the top and the people who entertain the worst ideas, I mean, they're welcome to follow them, but at and least that, it's that'll being happen discussed. naturally, you know. I mean, the, well... The, yeah, yeah, it'll, it, it happens naturally. It just takes time and things don't happen as fast. I mean, like, look yeah. at, you know, we had electric cars back in the 1800s, yeah. right? But then there was other reasons why we <laughs> went to gas cars but yeah, yeah, slowly yeah. we'll come back around to it, right? So, the cyclical so nature many things, things were, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, we had light bulbs that wouldn't burn out, you know, a Where'd few years after we invented light bulbs, 
right? Yeah, perpetual but, motion and whatnot. But yeah. we didn't, you know, we, we re, you know, uh, we don't have light bulbs that don't burn out now. But, you know, uh, so, so nothing follows this, you know, perfect path. Um, there's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of different um, routes that get taken. But eventually things do get better slowly over time, right? So, um, what's your time horizon on that for Web3? Uh, like I said, you know, I think at least a 30 year time frame before Web3 even starts to become like mainstream. Uh, we're, we're 10, we're, yeah, we're 15, almost 15 oh, years, so 15 years from into Web3 right now, right? Yeah. So, uh, what in 2013? We'll see like 2009 was when the Bitcoin uh, white paper was released. Uh, so 2019, uh, now we're in 2022. So in 2013, it'll be like, or 2023, it'll be like 15 years that we're already into Web3, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But, but if you look at like from the very early days to now, it's like day and night, like, like nobody back in 2010 or 2011 thought that by 2022 we would be at a level where we're at right now, right? Like, you know. Absolutely. I mean, uh, Bitcoin popularized blockchain. And so if you're going to have any qualm with cryptocurrency, leave Bitcoin alone. Had it not been for Bitcoin blockchain, who knows how many more decades it would have taken to really, uh, at least that's that, that that's the, I, I mean, I, I had multiple OGs who may, maybe we'll bring you on to debate right. each other one day. Let's go move on real quick to, uh, in order for this to become realities, because we're talking about it almost in the abstract, but someone's got to build it. And so we have the two most popular chains that you know now. So we have blockchain, uh, Bitcoin, uh, uh, blockchain, and then it's Lightning Network. And then we have Ethereum, and you know, they just did, did the merge, and they're moving over from a, a, to a POS. Um, and they're going to have issue scaling, right? So they have like these like layer two solutions like Matic and stuff like this, um, sort of like layer two-ish. Tell me about, so you've effectively, I mean, over time discovered a way forward for, for system scaling on the software and the hardware end. And it was like kind of like a bit, 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 and then boom, you know, you had your epiphany. What, to speak maybe to those two chains, just to, engage those audiences and then to your specific project um but just like you know give like each audience like they get one minute and they should be very thankful because you know sure sure yeah um you know i mean bitcoin i i think um it's always going to be there and it's uh you know the the incredible thing about bitcoin is that it's simple right uh in in and it just doesn't add a lot of complexities and you know, at one point, Bitcoin had built into it like all this contracting system that Satoshi was planning on doing. But the devs kind of like said, "Hey, let's just you know put this on hold." Bitcoin is just used for coin transfer now, right? So it's a very simple, straightforward system, and that is what makes it very resilient and robust, right? And it stood the test of time, and you know, so that's going to be like the backbone of this whole crypto revolution, yes. right? So, it's 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 um, you know, it, it you know, people criticize it and all that, but it all depends on what 
like if you're looking for uh, something that um, does, uh, you know, programmable money, you know, that's not, I mean, Bitcoin has some features of programmable money, but that's not what it's used for nowadays. But if you're looking for like a store of value, now that's what it's becoming, right? So, you know, over time, it's, I think it's um, solidified its niche as a store of value, right? So now you have entities like BlackRock, which, you know, their client base controls like, you know, $20 trillion partnering with Coinbase so that they can buy, you know, assets like Bitcoin and, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, diversify into crypto, right? So they're not going to be buying all, you know, there's over 20,000 different coins out there, right? Uh, So so these guys are not going to touch anything uh, beyond maybe the first, you know, two or three. Um, So so these uh, coins like Bitcoin established themselves as a solid uh, right so now if you look at ethereum um ethereum was after bitcoin the next biggest um technological advancement in the space where it fulfilled the original promise of bitcoin to have programmable money right so uh you know with bitcoin Satoshi had the vision of, you know, having contracts and programmable money, but a lot of it was tuned down. And, and so uh, that because Bitcoin of the democratized be network, let, let's just be clear, because of the democratized network, these people said we would rather have sound money and get like, like almost guaranteed sound money yeah, than exactly. even dabble because preservation. That's yep. why we see a temperamental yep. divide between Ethereum, if you notice this, and the Bitcoin holders was, exactly. was key. Yes, exactly. And that's the awesome thing about this space is that one thing doesn't have to be everything, right? Yeah, yeah. So you can have Bitcoin being a store of value. You can have Ethereum being, you know, programmable money. You can have another chain, you know, for for another purpose and so on. Right. So we can have lots of different chains which are, you know, specializing in different things. And they can all be very useful. Depends on what you're measuring, right? So right. what's important to you? So, uh, so with Ethereum, you know that was the big innovation. You know, it showed that pretty much you could build, you know, any kind of a, of you know, a functional uh, program and put it on a blockchain in such a way that okay, once it's there, it's there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't have to worry about running that anymore. I just create a smart contract, deploy it. I pay my gas fee for deploying it, and now it's there, yeah. and nobody can stop it, which yeah. is, you know, really amazing. I mean, we never yeah. had that capability before. So I, I think I get it now with you know blockchain um, as it comes to the biggest chains, Bitcoin. And Ethereum, so but there's going to be challenges, and we know that scaling is a challenge, um, and that you talked about sound value earlier, um, and the importance of expansion of the money supply and contraction of the money supply, and maybe how that could be stabilized. So you have like a deep labor of love 
that has a tremendous following, right? And it's been going on for a while. Can you just bring the audience into your world and then perhaps cap it off with like how you made that happen? Yeah, sure. So to kind of, you know, put that into perspective, we have to go back to like, you know, what I had done with the whole sound money, uh, you know, system. And it, you know, that triggered me to think about like, how could something like this actually be implemented in the real world? And, you know, that triggered me to search for like other monetary, you know, forms of money and coming across Bitcoin back in 2011. And even, you know, I, I thought the Bitcoin technology was great, but still I, you know, could see that um, this wasn't the complete solution for implementing something like a sound money system that you know the whole world could use. And there's two problems, right? So one problem is, you know, how do you scale that system up so that it could handle like billions of users? And the other is that, you know, how do you ensure that, you know, uh, each entity that has an account on the system has only one account, right? Because if you're receiving money every day, there's a lot of incentive to create fake accounts, right? And so that's kind of the holy grail of the digital identity problem. Um, and so, so those two problems had to be solved. And so I'm currently focusing on solving the first one, which is the scalability issue. And, you know, having a background and having built scalable systems, uh, mm -hmm. you know, this was definitely something that interested me a lot, right? So, um, you know, I, I was hoping that somebody would come up with, uh, you know, using some sort of uh, solution like sharding for blockchains. Um, and because that's what's used a lot in you know the web two world to build scalable systems, but not seeing that happen in 2016, I just kind of left all of the other things that I was doing and locked myself up in the library and focused on designing you know a, a, a scalable sharded decentralized uh, ledger. And in late 2017. I, you know, started putting a team together and we started a project called Shardis. Uh, so the, the, sh the shard part of it relates to the sharding. Uh, and, and so we have been building that technology since, you know, 2017. And every quarter we do a presentation and a YouTube stream and demonstrate our software. And we'll put a link in the know, below. We'll put a link in the below so people can see what you've done in the past and maybe when the next one's coming. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, we, we over a span of about four, that technology to the point where we can actually demonstrate linear scaling. Uh, so what linear scaling means is that you want your system designed in such a way that every, comp you know, node that you add to the network actually helps increase your transaction throughput. So if you look at, you know, the number of nodes as the x-axis and your transaction speed as the y-axis, then if you get a straight line, then you have linear scaling, right? So that's what that means. And we were able to show a network of, you know, 
what was it, uh, 200 nodes being able to achieve, um, what was it? I think we, we showed like 100 TPS and then we pushed that up to, I think a thousand nodes. And, you know, that was able to achieve, uh, you know, a uh, thousand TPS. So, so, so what's you know, a node that, to that, transaction that's a throughput? linear. Right, right, that's the linear, right, you achieved the linearity. Scale, yeah. and, and so what's the node to transaction throughput when compared to, let's say, um, Ethereum today? today? So Ethereum um, does about 20 transactions per second. Okay. okay. So the difference so, would be roughly. It's orders of magnitude. Oh. Right? So like ten, right. ten to a hundred times uh, faster than Ethereum. Right? Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So this is like completely different technology. You know, Ethereum mm. demonstrated that smart contracts are possible. Oh, yeah, I love Ethereum. This yeah. technology is gonna allow that to happen at much higher speeds. Right. right. So. Uh, and, and so in 2021, uh, Nishal Shetty, who's the co-founder of uh, the Wazirx Exchange, which is the largest exchange in India, mm. uh, he saw our presentation and he said, wow, you know, you, you know, it looks like you guys have been working diligently. I've been following you over the years and you actually, you know, are delivering on your promise and showing you know linear scaling here and, it, and you know he said like do you think this could be used to create a smart contract platform and you know so we went back and you know thought about the details of doing that and we realized that we could create a smart contract platform on the technology that we had built with Shard Shardis and so that's how the Shardium project got started so Nishal and I partnered and we uh, created Shardius Shardium. And now, so Shardius and now there's Shardium, right? Shardium, yeah. So protocol layer technology. Shardium is adding the Ethereum virtual machine and the smart contracting capabilities to that, right? right. So, so that's how uh, you know I got involved with the Shard Shardium project, and you know Nishal has a following of you know half a million Twitter users. He's a prominent figure in the India crypto space. You know, he's invited by their parliament to the you know, advise them on crypto regulations. The he's oftentimes on Indian television as a guest commentator on, you know, what's happening in the crypto space. So he's, you know, having Nishal as a partner for Shardium has been amazing. So now I can focus on the tech side he focuses on the market, marketing and ecosystem development. Oh. And it's, oh, a, it's how, a, so it's good. A, oh, oh, give me some of that. Oh, or give me some of that. Oh, oh, please. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Right, right. So yeah, so it's a, it's a great combination. And I think yeah, we have a awesome team to build and deliver this. And so our roadmap is that, you know, uh, early part, you know, like first half of 2021, we hope to have the Shardium mainnet launched. Okay. And we already have an alpha net that's launched. So if you go to shardium.org, you can, you know, click your way and discover our alpha net and, and actually use it and deploy smart contracts to it and actually use some of the dApps that people have put up on it. And, 
you know, the important thing is that we've maintained hundred percent backward compatibility with Ethereum, right? Yeah. So for users, it's not about learning anything new. For developers, that's they don't have to learn anything it. new. That's why we love yeah, that. That's so, why we asked you to come out. We love that. Yep. They yeah, just, and it preserves all the work and effort that was done in the Ethereum ecosystem and carries that forward, but it brings low gas fees and scalability. So, so the reason why scalability is important is so that you can maintain low gas fees in a sustainable way, right? Because uh, any network, when it first gets started, has low gas fees because the usage is low. Right? Yes. So, you know, <laughs> like when, even in the early days of Ethereum, Ethereum having a capacity of only 20 transactions per second, in the early days, there was only like maybe two or three transactions per second. And, you know, people could pay a penny or a sub fraction of a penny and, and, you know, send a coin or interact with the smart contract. But as the popularity grows and the usage starts to approach the capacity, the gas fees end up going up and there's nothing you can do about it unless you've designed a system like Shardium where you can add more nodes to increase that capacity. So as yeah. the usage starts to come to, you know, towards capacity, we add more nodes, increase the capacity, stay ahead of that curve and keep the transaction fees low, even as the platform becomes more and more popular. So yeah. that I think was the next evolutionary step, uh, you know, in, in this, uh, you know, long 30, 40 year, uh, phase Dirty. that we're in yeah exactly so uh, so uh, you know ethereum showed that smart contracts can be done and now we're doing it at, on on scale on scale right? so and that's the key yeah. it's sort of ethereum on scale stable low gas prices high throughput boom 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 uh, this has been a pleasure and a joy really for anybody who's coming into the space and uh just wants to hear from a true og who's taking action and delivers which is a great thing in the space so we're going to bring you on again when you launch and you become super successful and you get to tell us the story of what it's like to be that awesome in the, in the space. So thank you so much for joining us, really. And is there anything you want to leave the audience with? Uh, yeah, well, just want to thank you, Mike, again, for having me on. Really enjoyed the conversation and just, you know, uh, want to tell the audience that, hey, there's some really amazing, great projects coming up. So keep an eye out for Stardium and Shardis as well. Uh, Rick, could you, could you just close on the Shardis token real quick, um, just so they know what that sure, is? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so the Shardis token is uh, based on the protocol technology that we developed. Uh, you can actually go to Shardis.com, and if you click on the token link there, uh, it takes you down to the token section and the market cap and CoinGecko as well. And yeah. it's available so now. It's actually uh, it's in the RC twenty. It's out there, uh, being traded. Um, and so yeah, so they could participate in it that way right now. Um, you know, so. Okay, so there's that way, yeah. and then right the the, the shardium, and then right? yeah, and then and then earning shardium through shardium. participating in the community. Um, you know, the shard shardist token holders will be getting shardium as well. Uh, there'll be an airdrop for, for people holding Shardis. Uh, so if you get have Shardis on, 
you know, in your wallet, you get some shardium as well. So we all love those airdrops. We all love those airdrops. Uh, <laughs> but 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 even more than the airdrops, we love the fact that uh, you've taken the time with Mark. I know your time is very valuable. So um, we are going to do everything to get the word out. Uh, uh, it's already out there, uh, but we want to explode it, right? So we'll have our people work together and uh, you're doing great things. And I, and I know you're going to deliver on your promises and I might have to uh, go to that Discord community and uh, get involved and um, do so soon uh, between 12 and one o'clock, which is my one hour of free time a week on a Friday. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, we'd love to have you over there. And, you know, we have a long, long road ahead of us still, but, you know, we're committed to delivering and yeah. we're excited about what we're building and we, we want to have the community involved. And, yeah, I really appreciate it. Appreciate you getting the word out. Oh, well, yeah, it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. And we want to see more people like you enter the space, innovate in the space. And um, just uh, I think we're both grateful. So thank you so much. And, uh, and yeah, we'll be following up. So talk All to right. you later. All right. Take care, Mike. Take care, Omar. Cheers. Bye-bye.